Welcome to the Scale Up Your Business podcast. In this podcast, we talk about what it takes to go from startup to scale up and beyond. How to significantly grow your business, create freedom, build wealth, and live life on your terms. Featuring some very special guests and experts to give you advice and direction on your journey. And now, introducing your host, entrepreneur, investor, and scale-up specialist, Nick Bradley. Hi, everyone. Nick Bradley here. Welcome to another action-packed episode of Scale Up Your Business. I have a great interview for you today. I have none other than Chester Elton. Now, Chester Elton is an author. He's a coach. He's a keynote speaker. He is a world expert on leadership, on culture, on engaging your people. Absolute powerhouse on this stuff. He's the co-founder of The Culture Works, which is a global training company. He's written heaps of multiple award-winning books. They've been number one New York Times, US Today, and Wall Street Journal bestsellers. Uh, One of them is called All In. The other one is called The Carrot Principle. And the one we're going to talk about today is Leading with Gratitude. All in all, his books have been translated into 30 languages and have sold more than 1.5 million copies globally. In fact, The Carrot Principle is an interesting one because, as you'll see, Chester loves orange. And that's all about the kind of carrot and the stick um, metaphor. And he even sent me a lovely pair of orange and blue socks. And I do like my colorful socks. So Chester, thank you very much for that. He's been called fascinating by Fortune magazine, creative and refreshing by the New York Times. He's appeared on the NBC's Today Show, 60 Minutes, and he's often quoted in Fast Company Newsweek and the Wall Street Journal. So this guy is an absolute guru when it comes to leadership. He's been ranked number four amongst the world's top experts uh, on leadership and number two amongst the world's top organizational culture experts. So listen, I could go on and on. He's worked with organizations such as GE, Hard Rock Cafe, Novartis, and American Express, the World Bank. The list is longer than my arm. You can tell I'm excited because I love what Chester is about. He's about gratitude. And we get into that today about why gratitude, why is that so important in effective leadership? So for everybody who is scaling their business, growing their business, sometimes struggling with the people side of things, how do you build great teams? How do you build a fantastic culture? How do you lead with both authenticity and impact? Well, Chester is your man. So welcome to Scale Up Your Business, Chester Elton. Hi, everybody. It's Nick here. Welcome to another episode of Scale Up Your Business. I'm delighted to have on the show today, Chester Elton. Now, he is an author, an executive coach. In fact, when I say an executive coach, I'm downplaying it because I'm going to let Chester introduce himself properly in a second. But he's a speaker and he's got a fantastic book that we're going to talk about tonight, which is called Leading with Gratitude. And his whole thing is around performance, business performance, the impact of culture, the impact of gratitude. And tonight we're going to unpack all of that. So welcome to the show, Chester. I'm delighted to be here. And I'm really looking forward to the conversation. The conversations you and I have had off, you know, Mike, have been really engaging. So I can't wait. Yeah. And the reason I was playing around with that kind of executive coach thing is because you have got some accolades here. I don't want to embarrass you too much, but I'm going to because my show and I get to do that, even though you're a guest. But you've kind of been, you know, you've won a heap of different awards here. I'm just going to kind of list some of them. So engagedly said top HR influencer of 2020, 
top 101 global employee engagement influencer. Uh, you've got, oh God, you've, you've been on sort of Fast Company, the Wall Street Journal, NBC's Today Show, all sorts of really powerful media platforms getting your message across. So, you know, you're, you're one of the world's top coaches. So I'm delighted to have you here. I, I wish my kids, <laughs> you know, thought as much of me as that introduction. You know? I could keep going on. I, I'm sort of like overwhelmed by it all. But now listen, I, you know, what's, what's always fascinating about bringing really fun and interesting people on this show is I like to hear their stories because it, there's amazing level of productivity that people have when they're kind of, you know, successful and they're in flow and they're doing the things that they really feel is their mission and their purpose. And you certainly read like that person, Chester. So can you introduce yourself properly? Just kind of why you do what you do, what you do, how you started, just give us a kind of a few minutes on that. I think it will help people get to know you tonight. Sure. You know, uh, first and foremost, I tell people I'm a proud Canadian. You know, I grew up in Canada, <laughs> born in Edmonton, raised in Vancouver. I've lived in the States now for much longer than I lived in Canada. And yet, I think in my heart, um, I'm always a proud Canadian um, and a hockey fan. So you need to know that. Uh, cool. You know, my, my uh, growing up was ridiculously happy. You know, I grew up uh, with four older brothers, uh, two amazing parents, you know, my dad, uh, a huge influence on me, one of the happiest guys you'd ever meet. And what I loved about my dad was, is that you wanted to be around him because he made you feel better about yourself. And he, he was in broadcasting. He actually was a radio announcer, and then he went into management and ended up running uh, a radio station in, in Vancouver, which for us was great fun because you got tickets to everything, you know, concerts and parades and football games and hockey games. And so it was great fun. And, and I, I loved just my family and my brothers and, and you know, my mom was, uh, taught us how to work really hard and my dad taught us how to play really hard. And, and, and so as I got into business, that's kind of what I looked for. And uh, really interesting, most of my brothers, we went into broadcasting in some form or another, except for my oldest brother, who's a lawyer, who we don't talk about. <laughs> <laughs> I must, uh, Christmas or Thanksgiving must be fantastic. Yeah, yeah great fun. And, you know, we were all very uh, extroverted and performers. And I, I laughed that I think I got into doing a lot of podcasting and stuff like that because being the youngest, I never got the live mic. It never made its way all the way down the line to, to me. <laughs> I, can, I can visualize that, Chester. I can see it. Well, you've made up for it. Let's, let's be honest, you've made up for it. Um, <laughs> I mean, I love stories about particularly people's parents and their upbringing because it sparks so much of who, who we all are. And, and I look back and then as you're telling that story, I was just kind of reflecting on my upbringing as well and the influences I've had. But so, so take us through kind of what, what you did then. So obviously, you know, great family life growing up, um, you know, parents who are doing some pretty interesting things. Obviously you've got your brothers. So you say brothers and sisters or just yeah, five boys, just five boys. Five boys, okay, brothers. So what did you do? So where did, what, where did your kind of, you know, career start, so to speak? You know, one of the things that had a huge impact on me was uh, I grew up in a very um, a household of faith. You know, we we're members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And if you know, we used to be known as the Mormons. It's kind of like Prince, you know, the, the church formerly known as, as, yeah, as the Mormon. Um, <laughs> you can volunteer uh, at, the, at that time. It was when you were 19. Now you can go when you're 18 to serve a two-year mission for your church. And they can send you anywhere in the world. Well, it's uh, back then you'd get an envelope in the mail and you'd open it up. And literally, this was going to tell you where you were going to spend the next two years of your life. And, and when you're 19, that's a big part of your life. Right? I opened it up and they called me to serve a two-year mission, get this, in southern Italy. And I thought, 
when you get that call, it, that's when you know Jesus loves you. You know, <laughs> it just was. That's kind of like red wine and pizza and like <laughs> olives and, you know, oh. that stuff. It's probably not good for the waistline, but I imagine just for the spirit. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, Italian culture is, is extraordinary, as you know, and the food was fabulous. The people were wonderful, learning a second language and, and a culture. And what I want to get to there is the opportunity to live abroad at a really young age and appreciate differences and learn a language and learn a culture and make friends from literally all over the world because other missionaries were from the States or they were from Europe or, or Australia and England and so on. And it really was a tremendous education in, you know, discipline, perseverance, plus that you, you pay your own way, you know, you're not a paid uh, minister. And so your job for two years is to wake up and make somebody's day a little better, you know, preach the gospel and, and, and bring them goodness and, and light and so on. And, and that had a huge impact on the way I saw uh, volunteerism, altruism, giving of your time and, and of your talent. And, uh, and so that was a huge, uh, you know, turning point in, in my life. Uh, went on to, I went to the University of British Columbia my first year, and then I finished up at Brigham Young University where I met my wife. And that's where I really studied like communications and how did you get uh, people to communicate and understand? And uh, you'll, you'll laugh for three summers to pay my way through college. I actually sold Bibles door to door <laughs> in the States where you'd, you'd knock on the door and say, hey, I'm just one of those old salesmen. You don't shoot them out of here, dude. I'm hoping, I'm hoping like not, I'm not an, I don't understand all the different faiths in the detail. Um, so this will be an ignorant comment here, but is there a difference between selling a Bible that's kind of Latter-day Saints affiliated versus sort of Church of England? <laughs> is it kind of like a conflict here or is it kind of broadly in the same ballpark? Well, you know, it's, it's really interesting. In my faith, we use the King James Bible, which is kind of the standard uh, Bible for okay. Christian yes. faith. And the company was out of Nashville, Tennessee. So it was non-denominational. And in fact, you could never tell anybody what church you went to because people would then think you were being a missionary. Right. So it was it was really a great experience of learning how to sell and engage people and, and make sure you did it along company guidelines. You, you laugh. We went for training down in Nashville, Tennessee, and the guy would say, now, I understand we got the we got the students here from Brigham Young University. And I keep hearing you selling. You're going to be selling Bibles door to door. He says, you know, we got a warehouse out there four football fields full of books and we ain't got one Bible. We got a whole lot of Bibles. So if y'all say that with me, we're going to be some Bibles this summer. And so, you know, not only so from going from Southern Italy to Nashville, Tennessee, and, you know, getting to understand, you know, Southern charm and, and, and just that wonderful culture. It really, you know, those degrees and whatnot, I, I, look, they're important, you know, go to school, get a good education. Boy, travel and just being in different cultures and getting out of your comfort zone. Uh, I sold Bibles. I agree. Anderson, Indiana and North Dakota and, you know, Oshkosh. Well, you, you know, you're getting life lessons, aren't you? I mean, oh. you know, nothing, nothing against the world of academia. You know, I've, I've gone and, and been through that degrees and business school and all that sort of thing. But where I've learned the most has been, A, as you said, through travel and just meeting interesting people, you yeah. know, and having conversations and kind of having, like I say deep conversations, not to sound make it sound kind of odd, but just, just really listening, right? And, and that's the playbook for me. I mean, that's the thing that's made the biggest difference, probably certainly in the, where I am now, 
in, and I, and I'm very grateful to <laughs> talk about gratitude yeah, yeah. for those sort of experiences. Well, I, I couldn't agree with you more, Nick, you know, and, and back to the influence of my dad, he'd always say, Hey, don't let uh, your school and get in the way of your education. Yeah. <laughs> you know, love that. Love it. And, and I think particularly now, you know, when you talk about COVID and you talk about uh, particularly here in the States with the social unrest, the ability as, as, as you've mastered brilliantly to be able to reach out to people outside your comfort zone, you know, a recommendation I got from my wife actually, during the social unrest was reach out to your black friends and just call them and say, mm. how are you doing? And, and learning more of their stories because we, we have friends that we would never have imagined some of the things they went through as kids, just being black, being, being pulled over uh, for no particular reason by the police and, and being really careful about how they would go certain places. And, uh, and I think, you know, from, from, from being a missionary to going to school in the States to selling Bibles door to door in the South, all that culmination of that education really does help you. And I, and I know you feel the same. To, you know, we, we, with our books, my co-author, Adrian Gostick, we've, we've presented, I think, in 50 different countries. And that being able to go to Nigeria and go to the Middle East and South America and, and all over Europe really is it's an adventure and it's delightful. It, 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 it's never been threatening to your point. You know, what's your story? Uh, tell me about your mm -hmm. food. Tell me about your faith. Tell me about your family and how it shaped you. And it's just uh, the rich, it adds a richness to your life. No, I agree. And you know, one of the things I think about when we talk about leadership shortly as well, it's a lot of it's kind of showing interest. <laughs> you, know, it's a lot, you know, people use the word empathy a lot and they use things like that and about understanding where people are and kind of trying to meet them where they are and all that. But one of the things I've had, I've been a CEO of, of relatively big companies, not the, the, the large corporates or the Fortune 500s, but big enough companies with hundreds of employees. And I, you know, the thing that's probably stood me in, in, you know, being successful and being authentic in those areas is the fact that I actually cared about people enough to sort of take an interest in them. Yeah. And that just comes from an interest in people anyway, to be frank, but it wasn't sort of made up, but it's amazing when people are, are heard and have, and, and have that kind of ability to be able to, to share stuff, you know, with someone who is in that position, if you like, it, it makes a massive difference. Uh, no question. You know, as, as we did the research for uh, leading with gratitude, and, uh, you know, we have now a database of a million engagement surveys from all over the world, which is just ridiculous, wow. you know. Wow. Yeah. And, and I send Christmas cards to all of them. Uh, <laughs> Even that's wow. Yeah. Even yeah that's wow. Yeah, I, yeah. I've got to say, because it's a nice little segue. So I got a, we, we spoke a few weeks back and I got a lovely little package all the way from where you are to where I am. So across the, across the pond, as they say. Yeah. And I got this fantastic book which says leading with gratitude, which we we're talking about. I have one too. Yeah, that's great. Oh, wow. Is that amazing? I, I, it's not signed though. I wanted a signed copy. Did, oh, didn't we? You know, I will have to rectify that. Yeah. I'm mucking around. Don't worry. But I, the best thing I got is I got these cool socks. And as, as we're recording this, because some people will watch this on YouTube, other people will, will just listen to it on, uh, on Apple or uh, Spotify or something like that. Chester's wearing this brilliantly bright orange shirt. And the socks that I got are kind of like light blue and orange. Right. What, what, what's that about? <laughs> well, you know, orange, we, we, Adrian Gostick, my co-author, this is our 12th book. And we've been writing together for 20 years. Well, we started with a series of books that had carrot in the title. You know, it was Managing with Carrots, the 24 Carrot Manager, A Carrot a Day, the carrot principle, you know, and so the carrots just became our, you know, mascot. This is carrot the carrot, right? And we'd go to conferences and we'd throw carrots. And I was always, uh, I always find it fascinating what 
you know, senior executives of Fortune 100 companies will do to, to win a little carrot, you know, in the end of the conference. So Chester's holding up like literally a, a fluffy toy carrot at this yeah. point in time, which matches almost perfectly with his shirt. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah sure so this is, is, this, is this coming from the, the kind of concept of the carrot of the stick, so to speak? Yes, we say, look, more carrots, less sticks. And, and to your point, it's, it. you know, when you really do care about people, the simple expressions of gratitude. You know, our, our seminal book was The Carrot Principle, based on a massive research and so on. And so the carrots became our thing, and, and people send me orange socks. And I've even, uh, if, those of you that are watching, this is my new covid mask oh my god you've got a, an orange bright orange covid mask yeah I, I love i love someone who's got um brand colors yeah yeah and and frisbees <laughs> and, and everything else so yeah wow. I, and, and you're trapped after a while it's just your brand you know and uh, and delightfully so, because I think orange is a very happy color and an engagement. It is a happy color. Yeah. Well, let's let's go back a little bit, and then I want to kind of get into the book, and I want to talk about um, some of your your thoughts and principles around leadership, actually. But um, if we go, you know, obviously interesting, lots of travel, um, yep. interesting experiences, meeting lots of different people. How do you go from that into, you know, did you have a corporate career before you went into coaching or did. how did you know you were going to be a coach? Because it's obviously, you know, it's, you, I said it before we started, mission, purpose, you know, obviously this is you, this is you. Right. How did you, how do you know that? How did you find that? Tell us that story. Yeah. You know, I, I, I loved sales, you know, right from selling Bibles door to door. I went and sold media in Detroit and uh, New York and managed the sales team up in Hartford, came back to New York and then started to work for a recognition company. And I, and I loved that. It was appreciating employees in a really meaningful way, whether it was for longevity, you know, years of service or, or sales or innovation. And uh, it was very symbolic. We actually, we started, we sold lapel pins when people actually wore suits to work, you know, and, and we had all kinds of symbolism. They were made out of, you know, gold and we had, you know, gems encrusted and then we had other things. And, and I love that whole thing about, we value you, you know, over and above your paycheck, we're gonna give you the spotlight. And uh, so the way we got into, into writing books and then eventually coaching is, I had a great relationship with our CEO at the time. His name's Kent, uh, Kent Murdoch. And I, I, I'd done this project with a consulting firm with a pharmaceutical company. My area is New Jersey and lots of pharma companies in New Jersey. And, and I said, hey, Kent, you know, if, if we became the thought leaders in employee recognition, my job would be so much easier. People would call me for advice as opposed to me having to cold call, right? And, uh, and thought leaders publish. I said, you know what? There hasn't been a definitive book written on employee recognition. And we've got all this data and all these clients, we can do it. And he goes, oh, I love that idea. Well, go ahead, write the book. I went, Kent, uh, you know, communications major, sales guy, not, not writer. And this, is, and this is what changed everything. And it was literally in one sentence, he said, you know what, Chester, you're a smart guy, figure it out. Isn't that interesting? I love that. I do. And you did. You did. But did you ever, there must have been a, a learning curve. I always say that anything you start that you've never done is difficult, oh, challenging. But, yeah. you know, I think about it, but then you become better at it. Then eventually you can master it. You know, it's, you're obviously always learning, but you can become very proficient. Is that how you found it? Was it, was it a struggle at the beginning? Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll tell you, Nick, and, and, and you know this. I mean, the more you do it, the better you get. And then it becomes not what you do. It, it's, it's who you are. You know, there's yeah. that tipping point. Identity. So for about a year, I played with some different ideas and titles and all this kind of stuff. And then Kent called me back. Another great moment, great leader, right? He said, hey, um, I just hired a writer to be our communications guy. His name's Adrian Gostick. 
introduce yourself at the, at the national sales meetings and, and write your book. So not only did he put the challenge in, had I been thinking about it, he then provided a way to get it done. And for almost a year from that date, we dropped the book on his desk and said, here it is. It's called Managing with Carrots. We got a publisher in the whole bed. He says, well, what do I have to do? I go, you got to buy 4,000 copies. <laughs> did he do that, by the way? And he did. And he did. <laughs> And our, it, so you are good at selling, Chester. You weren't. That was you just proven that. Yeah, there you go. Well, and and what was really fun is our salespeople loved it because it gave them something to go into clients. And this was our pr proprietary IT. And uh, and then one thing led to another, and and here we are. You know, twelve books later, we've sold one point six million copies. They're in thirty languages, and that's where the coaching started to happen because people would say, "Hey, we 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 read your book. Of course, you 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 speak on your books, right?" And Adrian and I looked at each other and went, sure. Sounds like a great idea, you know? And so we would show up and we'd speak. And then we said, hey, if we charged them for it, we'd be professional speakers, <laughs> you know? So we charged like $1,000, which, you know, anyone would pay. And then we just sort of ramped it up. Well, then people would say, hey, loved your speech, loved the book. Of course, you have training. And we went, you know, that's a great idea. And the company was headquartered in Salt Lake City. And, you know, Covey was there, crucial conference. I mean, it's like the, 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 the epicenter of, of employee training is Salt Lake City, Utah, right? So we said, well, we got to know a guy who knows a guy, right? So then we, we worked our network and we found people that said, yeah, we'll take your book and we'll create training. And we had all the input. And one thing led to another. And then finally, inside the company, we had the carrot culture which was great. That was our training arm. And we kept writing, we kept training, training. Well, it, it wasn't lost on us that to really get a carrot culture or a culture of gratitude, we've kind of graduated to that. The leaders had to buy in. It was a lot easier top down, as you well know, when the CEO loves it, everybody, everybody loves it. Right? Yeah, well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Indeed. So we met Marshall Goldsmith, who was like the world's greatest executive coach. And he invited us to be a part of the MG 100, pay it forward. And he said, look, as part of the membership, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to train you up in my coaching philosophy, which is stakeholder coaching. And I took it actually in Jersey City, New Jersey. They had a, a gathering. And, you when, know, when was this? How long ago was this, Justin? This is uh, probably three years ago. Okay. And I loved it, you know, because people would ask us, well, can you coach up our executives? And we said, you know, we don't really have a philosophy around coaching. We've got a philosophy around culture and engagement and so on. And Marshall provided that for us. And, uh, and I've, 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 over the last, I actually, I think it's been five years, actually. We've been uh, doing more and more executive coaching. And the coaching that I like in particular is the, um, the fast track, the, um, uh, sorry, the, you know, the up and coming leaders, the, the, the future leaders. I get it. Yeah, the future leaders, the ones who are kind of, they probably haven't quite been scarred by the board table and the investors yet. Right. And yeah. Yeah. Not quite as cynical as right. <laughs> I'm joking the, around, but you know what I mean? Right. The high potentials, you know, your hypo, yes. hypo leaders. And so I've done some stuff with American Express and some uh, law firms and so on. And I, I love it. Now, what Marshall also teaches you very quickly is the Buddhist sort of philosophy is I have it. If you can pay for it, great. If you can't, that's fine. And so, really? yeah, and so I've done some great work with an executive at the World Bank, for example. And I'll, I'll try to make this story quick because this, this is, again, was a really pivotal moment for me. Marshall invited, us, invited me to be a part of the MG100. The first gathering that we had, when you can do that, was at the World Bank because he had coached Dr. Jim Kim, who at the time was the president of the World Bank, and took the World Bank through the Ebola crisis. 
which was which was fascinating. And so at the end, then we got to know him and he was so affable. Uh, we said, well, how can we help the World Bank's mission to eradicate severe poverty by 2030? And he said, find somebody in the bank and coach them up. And, and I'd remembered that. So I, they had this movie on his life, which was really inspiring. Uh, of course, produced by Matt Damon. I mean, the guy knows everybody. The soundtrack <laughs> by Sting. And, you know, I'm, I, I'm sitting around thinking, I don't know how I got in this room. Here's one thing I know. I'm not leaving. <laughs> like, you, can, you are not getting me out of this room, right? So, so I, I mentioned to him the day after, I said, hey, Dr. Kim, I noticed in your work all over the world to eradicate poverty, you, you rely a lot on volunteers. He goes, absolutely, lifeblood. You know, get the food, get the medicine, whatever it is. And that's when I said, well, do you have a relationship with the Mormon church? And he looked at his assistant and she said, no. And I said, well, what do you know about Mormons? And he was really funny. He said, you know, I don't know a lot, although I golf with a Mormon, <laughs> right? So, so he's got that one experience. So I know three things. You can drive the ball a ton off the tee. So if you're a Mormon, you can drive the ball a ton, right? Oh, it, is a, it is a framing of one. <laughs> exactly. He's got a data point of one person, right? So, which is so important, right, to represent your data point appropriately. And he said, secondly, I know you don't drink and you don't smoke. And I said, yes, that's true. And then he said, and I think you're overly optimistic about life in general. Isn't that a wonderful brand, right? You're overly optimistic. I was, said, he, was he right though? From a from a sort of a Mormon cultural piece, was that is that is that it? Well, two out of the three, the golfing part. Well, the golfing yeah. one, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, yes, I, I would agree with that. I, I think you know our faith really is very optimistic. We, we do yeah. we do look to the future and 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 the good that we can do now to make that future better. So I said, well, here's here are two things you don't know about the Mormon Church that you should know. One is we have seventy thousand missionaries all around the world that are young and healthy, have learned the language, have learned the culture, and they don't just preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. They also volunteer, and they're free. And his eyes started to get a little bigger. He goes, yeah, that's good to know. And, and we're in most of these countries where, you know, you need help. I said, and secondly, we have this amazing welfare program for members of the church that has morphed into an extraordinary um, charity. It's called LDS Charities, where... If there's a, a hurricane or a tsunami, the church mobilizes and we own all these farms and we create all this food and, and clothing and we can export it like at a moment's notice. And the way we distribute it is through our membership. And I said, you need to tap into that too because it's tremendous resources. And he goes, done. Here's my assistant. Here, here's my cell phone number. Here's my assistant. And again, like Ken, he goes, just make it happen. Well, as you know, in big organizations, it takes a long time to... You know, there are a lot of bureaucracy. Mm -hmm. A year later, almost to the day, my wife and I hosted two women from the World Bank to tour, you know, the church headquarters, the missionary facilities, the, the welfare program. And one of the women's name is Mercy Neway, who literally like a month before had been hired as the liaison from the World Bank to faith-based organizations. They hadn't had one before. And I asked her, I said, so Mercy, and we had a delightful visit. And I said, Mercy, um, so grateful for your time to be here and, and develop this relationship. Um, do you want to be world, and this Marshall teaches you, right? I said, do you want to be world-class in your job? And she said, yes. I said, well, do you, do you have a world-class athlete that you, that you follow? She goes, yes, Serena Williams. I said, awesome. I said, let me ask you, does Serena Williams have a coach? 
And she said, yes, she's got a food coach, a, you know, a mental coach, a, a hitting coach. And I said, great. Well, do you have a coach? And she said, no, I don't. And I said, well, would you like to have a coach that's a five-time New York Times bestselling author that's presented in 50 countries all around the world? And, you know, and I, I gave her my bio and she said, of course. I said, great. And she said, well, what will it cost me? I said, that's the best part. It's free. And we've been developing this over the last couple of years. And now there is a designated group at the Mormon church through Mercy Neway to the World Bank to help eradicate severe poverty all around the world. Isn't, wow. that, isn't that unbelievable? That's an amazing story. And that's because of Marshall Goldsmith. All, all, all credit is, is to Marshall. He, he educated me. He gave me the pathway. He introduced me to the people. And then he said, and, and this is how we do it. Go do good things. And I'll tell you, of all the coaching that I do, the coaching that, uh, of which I am most proud is the coaching that I do for free. Wow. That, I mean, that's his book. I think it was um, What Got Me Here Won't Get You There. It was one of the first books I read. Actually, it was one of the first kind of leadership and sort of self-identifying things. I wasn't um, in, what, what was I? I was probably middle management when I read that book. Yeah. And I read that book because he was coaching the CEO of the company I was working for at the time, a business called Getty Images based in Seattle. He's in our book, Leading with Gratitude. Marshall introduced us. Yeah. Really? Oh, yeah. Jonathan Klein. Jonathan Klein was the founder. Yeah. So, so of course, I, that's when I first heard about Marshall and I was kind of, it's funny because I want to ask you a little bit about coaching and then I want to get into the kind of the leadership stuff because because coaching is a funny thing for me, right? Because sometimes people contact me and they ask me to coach them. And I have a view, whether whether rightly or wrongly, it's my perspective that coaching is a tool. It's not really a title per se. It's a, it's a tech, it's a thing. I, I sometimes mentor people. Sometimes I coach. Sometimes I'm a consultant. Sometimes I advise. That's right. kind of just how I think of it. What is coaching in, in your definition? You know, it's it's interesting. And, and again, you know, the influence on me in coaching is all Marshall Goldsmith. Is you take you take really good leaders and you make them better. You know, yeah, I love that definition. Yeah. Wow. And, and he says, and, and you know, he's so funny. He says, and be careful. Uh, you know, if somebody says, Hey, I've got a, I've got a leader and uh, he or she is a real problem that, you know, they really need, he says, don't take that job. <laughs> he said, you know, because those, you know, the, the, the odds of success are so low, you know, don't put yourself through it. Don't put them through it. Right. Find people. And that's why I love high potential leaders because these are, yeah. these are leaders that want the, they're students of leadership. They want to be better leaders. They want to make a difference. And those are the people that are coachable, right? And I'm sure you found the same to be true in the people that you've mentored and coached. Yeah. And, and, and one of the things we say in one of the, I've got a, a number of different businesses, but one of the businesses that we have, we focus on, it's a little bit from the, uh, the Jim Collins um, saying, we, we work with good companies, transforming them into great companies. Right. And people always say, well, what, is, what does that mean? And, and I've got a very clear view on that because I say, well, you know, a good company is one that has you know, it's solved a really, you know, clear problem for its customers. It's proven that it's, it, it can be, um, it can grow, it can, it can be viable, but it's for whatever reason lost its way, you know, and, but it has the intention and it has the ability to, to break through that, to get to the next level. And a great company is one that's sustainable. It's making an impact. It's adding value to, you know, to, to the, you know, geographies, communities, those sort of things. You see what I mean? So yep. I suppose it's very similar. When you think about it, what you've just said about people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, they, they've got a noble cause. They've got a great product. They've probably got really good people. They, you know, they've just like, I, I love the way you said it. They've just lost their way. 
Yeah. And, and we yeah, all lose our There's a lot of people like that. A lot of businesses like that. <laughs> live, live long enough, <laughs> fact, you'll lose your way. We've probably all been there, yeah. haven't we? So, so let's talk now about, about the book. And, and I want to talk about both leadership and gratitude. Because for me, it's interesting. There's, I mean, leadership is, my definition again, is, is kind of how you show up. Right. And I, I struggled for years thinking that I had to be someone else as a leader. I had to kind of be the the boss or I had to be the title. And then I kind of, the person that I was, Nick at home was different from Nick at work. Yeah. And then I'd have all these 360s and everyone would say how bad I was. <laughs> We're going back a bit now. And and then I, then I suddenly had this epiphany and I was like, like, perhaps I should just be me. Yeah, be genuine. You know, it's so interesting. And, and I grew up in an era where you really did, you had all these different lives. Right. You had your work life, your family life, your charitable life, your athletic life, your spiritual life. And you could literally be it was very schizophrenic. You could literally be five different people, you know. And of course, now and, and I think it's the advent of the of the smartphone. Right. That, I mean, you're mm-hmm. available 24 seven. There is no nine to five. I mean, there was a time and that was pretty great. At five o'clock, everything shut off like your day was over. It was, it was actually pretty amazing. Like you could go home and have dinner and, and, you know, go to a movie, whatever it was. It was great. I was sort of in the, I was coming into my career in the sort of nineties, if you like. So I remember a bit of that. Yeah. A little, little, <laughs> little bit, much. not much. A slither. A slither. <laughs> yeah. And, and what I think it did on the positive side is it broke down all those stereotypes. It broke down all those silos, you know, that you, you are who you are. And that's where you're seeing the really great leaders really are genuine. You know, they are who they are. You know, uh, we interviewed uh, Alan Mulally uh, for the book. He, you know, saved the Ford Motor Company. Well, Alan is Alan everywhere he goes. I mean, when you meet Alan, you've met Alan. You didn't meet the business Alan. You didn't meet the, you know, the onstage Alan. You, you met Alan. And, and on and on, you know, uh, Gary Rich, who we've become dear friends, he's the CEO of WD-40, you know, the world's greatest product. I mean, love that. I've got about four cans of that. You know, I keep buying a can. I don't think I've ever finished a can. There's, there's travel size. I've got my travel size WD-40. It's amazing. And, and he talks about <laughs> the work as being a tribe. You know, because what do you do in a tribe? He says, co-workers, teammates, it just doesn't go far enough. You know, when you're in a tribe, you, you, you protect each other, you, you, you feed each other, you nourish each other, you celebrate with each other. And, you know, he, he's got a company that's ridiculous. I mean, his engagement, when they put out engagement surveys, it's 99%. It's 99%. Really? Yeah. And it's, I, I said, Gary, who is who is that guy that you missed? Like, go find that guy. <laughs> There's one guy in the company that's not happy. What's, what's the deal? And, and it's because he is so genuine. You know, like you meet Gary, you've met Gary. He's this, this hell fellow well met. He's an Aussie living in San Diego. I mean, that's a great well, that's, combination that's, right that, there. That's right? kind of like, I used to live in Bondi now, I live in the middle of England, which is kind of not the same thing. Um, <laughs> not at all. But, but from all the fantastic leaders you've either coached, worked with, met through the books and everything else, is there, are there a number of traits that, that you see in, in the ones that are the best, the ones that drive the best results, the ones that build the, the most amazing cultures? Yeah, I mean, an excellent question. And, and we wrote about it in our book that, that first off, you've you mentioned they're genuine. You know, they, they are who they are. They've, they've got a great moral compass. They've got great values. You know, I loved uh, talking to Ken Chenault. He just recently retired from American Express where my son works. I mean, my, my son thinks that Ken Chenault walks on water and he's not far from, wow. from wrong. This is a guy that is so genuine and cares about his people so much. And then the charitable works that, 
that flowed from American Express every, in every department and time off to do these kinds of things and, and, and their, their policy around family and, and adoptions and, and, and when, when children are born. The, the traits there are, are ridiculous. I mean, huge, a great moral compass, great values, integral, and they're extraordinary communicators. And, and they, they really do believe you can't over-communicate. And, and I love it because particularly in a crisis, what we discovered very quickly, when there's a communication gap, that gap gets filled. And it gets filled with, you know, rumor, innuendo, and fear. <laughs> and and none, none of those are good things, right? So they, they, they communicate. Now, what we wrote about in the book was when it came to gratitude is for them, it's not a soft skill. It's not a nice to have. Or, or a nice to have. It's, it, it's a hard skill and it is a must have. Um, uh, Alan Mulally talked about accountability. I mean, he's ridiculous. The, the way, the, the methodology that he has and the accountability that he holds you to is very strict and very disciplined. And yet along the way, there's all these celebrations. You know, and, and Ken Chenault said, look, in times of crisis, we, we tend to be, he called it a gratitude grinch. We tend to pull back because we're doing hard things. We got to get her done. He says, you're shooting yourself in the foot. This, this is when you, you need to up your communication and up your gratitude. Isn't that interesting? People that need is to- fascinating because like, this is gratitude. As I said to you, like it was either the beginning of this or certainly before we started recording, we were talking about gratitude. It gets misunderstood. Yes. So what, what's your, again, de- I don't want to say definition that downplays it, but what's your, your feeling or your, your sentiment around gratitude? Well, you know, uh, two things. One is we talk about you, gratitude is the underpinning of a great culture. And mm-hmm. great culture, our definition is a place where people believe what they do mattered and it made a difference. And when they made a difference, it was noticed and celebrated, right? So you think about that. I've got a belief in that what I do matters. Every day when I show up to, to work, I'm making a difference and it's noticed and celebrated. So we had, we had a lot of fun. We didn't use it in the book, actually. Um, we talked about, we asked all these leaders, well, every, I think everybody understands what gratitude means. You're grateful for, right? What is, your, what is the opposite of gratitude? Give me a word that's the opposite of gratitude. And you can't say, you know, ingratitude, it's too easy. So there's your challenge. So, so Nick, if I said, what, give me a word that to you is the opposite of gratitude. Well, I'll tell you what comes to me, right? And this is maybe a little bit weird because it's not really a, def- a definition piece, but, but I think it's fear. You know, that, that's one that actually we never got. <laughs> you, you're, you're- I, I'll tell you why. I know that sounds a bit weird, but I can be a bit out there sometimes is, is if I'm feeling fear or uncertainty or any of those sort of things, if I become more present and I realize I've got all these amazing things around me, be that people in my life, be that you know, water to drink, you know, great books to read, whatever it is, it grounds me in a way which means actually, you know, I don't feel as potentially threatened by whatever that environment is driving that fear. Well, so it's see, not the opposite, but that's why I, I, I link the two together is probably the way of, of thinking of it. Well, I, I, I love the way you think because I, I, what you just said there I think is really insightful. If I am fearful, can I be grateful at the same time? And the answer is mm. you can't be. No, you can't be. It's no. really a powerful expression. Um, I do a, an exercise in the morning where I write down um, the things I'm grateful for. And I try, I've been trying a new thing recently where I write down what I want my day to be like as if I had experienced it. So yeah, you know, today I had a great, yeah, today I had a great time playing with my, my eldest daughter, Arabella. We ran around in the fields knowing that I'm going to spend some time with her that day. It's already planned in my diary, but things like that, 
really set me up with a mindset, which is just, just in a positive state. So then first and foremost, I'm more productive in that state. Secondly, if any challenges come in, as they always do every day, every week or whatever else, I've kind of got myself in a situation where those challenges aren't as overwhelming as potentially they could be. Right. So that's why I say the word fear. Well, and, and that's one of the practices we, we talk about in leading with gratitude is, you know, a gratitude journal. My wife and I have a wonderful practice at the end of every day. We say, what are your three? What are three things you're grateful for? It's just a lovely way to end the day. And like you, at the beginning of every day, I write down three to five things, you know, and, and, and I think it's a wonderful practice. I, I, I have a journal. I, I'm old school. I still write in a, like a journal. And I, I love that reflection at, uh, during the day just to write down what did you experience? Who did you talk to? Why was it impactful? You know, what I love about our book is we talked about seeing and, and expressing gratitude. And you come back to the traits of great leaders. They, they could see what was going on. They walked in their employees' shoes. They solicited input. They were good listeners, right? And, and, and they assumed positive intent. One of my favorite parts of the book is great leaders, Hubert Jolie, the guy who turned around Best Buy here in the States, billion dollar deficit to a billion dollar surplus. I mean, that's a nice turnaround, right? Wow. He said, we made work <laughs> meaningful. And he said, you know, what I, what I discovered was is that 99% of the people show up every day want to do a good job. And in trying to do a good job, they make mistakes. And you know what? That's okay. The assumption is you're trying to do a good job. And he says that changes everything in giving meaning to work and so on. And then they expressed it in a way that was meaningful. They knew their people well enough that they didn't send, you know, uh, champagne to the guy who's in AA, <laughs> you know, or a honey-baked ham to a, a devout Jewish family. Do, do you know what I mean? He could tailor it to, it, whether it was time off with the family or working on a new product and service or, or whatever it might be. And the other thing is they did it a lot. They didn't hold back. You know, they found little things every day and they expressed it. Uh, we called it little wins along the way. You know, just saying, hey, yeah. I really appreciate it. Look at this aisle and the products. It's just perfect. And it's clean and it's safe. And I love the way you interacted with that customer. Or, You know, whenever I show up, you're always so positive. And, and it just made people want to be there. And, and more importantly, be around that leader, right? And, and that's, that comes right back to my dad. My dad talked to the, the guy who was bagging his groceries the same way as he did at Captains of Industry. To my dad, everybody was valued. He had this expression I want to share with you. Yeah, He'd say, Chess, you treat everybody well. You be good to everybody. Everybody's having a tough day. Oh, I love that. Isn't that beautiful? I love that. That's so powerful. Wow. <laughs> yeah, but it's, it's, it, you know, the, the question that comes to my mind as you're saying, because I know there's, there's eight sort of traits or principles that you write about in the book. How much, because let's say someone picks up the book for the first time and they read it and they go, I don't do any of this. <laughs> so I've got this massive smack in the, in the eyes of awareness of perhaps, perhaps I need to evolve, which is great, right? That's a gift. Right. The question I've got though is how many, how many great leaders I just kind of naturally like this because that, that quote from your father, that's just a human value. That's a really just a powerful thing being a great human. Yeah. So do you find there are leaders who just kind of, they're just like this, right? They just don't even think about it. It's just how they show up. You know, that is such an insightful question because every leader you talk to didn't get there easily. And they all had lessons along the way. Hubert Jolie is a classic example. Again, 
and Marshall was his coach. And he said, I'm really having a tough time with this, this, and this, and this. And he said, what's my problem? And Marshall said, you've got one big problem. You're an asshole. <laughs> you know, he goes, he goes, what? He goes, yeah, I know you don't think you are. Trust me, you're an asshole. We got to work on that, <laughs> you know? And so there are these awakenings, these moments where you realize that you've got to change. So to your point, you know, you work with these and say, gosh, I don't do any of this. How do I, how do I, you know, where do I start? And we just say, start, like just start. You know, if you, if you want to, if you want to run a marathon, start running and you're not going to be good at it. <laughs> nobody, no, 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 nobody. No, no. There's no exactly. We talked about this when we met last time. Um, but, but you know, in terms of the, 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 there were different traits, as I said, in the book. And so, your recommendation, because I like the, to be some practicality when I have these conversations, is have a look, and there's probably going to be something that gra- you know gravitates towards you. Just start doing it. Yeah. You know, obviously, and it's going to feel probably a little bit uncomfortable and unnatural. I found I used to be pretty poor from various reasons at, at, at being empathetic generally. And so sometimes I would feel like it came across ingratiatingly, like, you know, hi, how's your day? Yeah. And I kind of cared. I did care, but I thought <laughs> I'm not asking the question in a way and it's coming, it's landed clumsily. Yeah. It comes across <laughs> as disingenuous. Even, yeah. Exactly. Even patronizing, you know. Uh, and I don't want it to be like that. It's just that like anything you just said, when you try something for the first time and it, and you, you know, you haven't done it before, it doesn't mean that you don't feel it. Right, right. It just and means it feels weird. Right. The, the place I love to start with leaders that, that struggle with it is to say, look, start with assume positive intent. Just change your mental outlook. Instead of when people bring you something, you know, you, know, you vilify them. How could you do this to me? How could you be so stupid? You say, what were you trying to do? Well, let's fix that. But, you know, it, I, I think that mental attitude, I've got a, a leader that I adore, uh, Scott O'Neill. He says, I come in with palms up. Any, any situation I, I can, I'm teachable. Tell me, uh, you know, I, nice. you know, all together. And I love that palms up. And the, the last thing in, in the, uh, that we did with the book, and I, I love Harper business because they didn't have to include it. And yet they were enthusiastic about it was at the end of the book, back to all these different lives. We have different personas. We have the baker's dozen. How do you take it home? You know, how do you, don't leave your best self at work, which a lot of us did, right? We, 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 we we're magnificent at work and we'd come home and we were exhausted and our families would go, well, your, your employees adore you, but we, we get the leftovers, you know? And, and one of the things we, we talk about in, in the, in the Baker's Dozen is when your day is over and you see your family, be glad to see them. Like be enthusiastic about, Hey, I'm home. What do you want to do? And it's such a simple little thing. Like now with COVID, you know, your commute is you walk through the door. You know, I mean, your commute is, is, is a nanosecond. So this idea, and, and by the way, what I love is every leader that we talked to, that we studied in the book, every one of them practiced it at home. Like every one of them. There was no exception. The way they interacted with their kids, with their spouses, with their partners, it, it, it came from a deep well of gratitude that they were glad to see them. How was your day? How can I help? right? How can we volunteer? How can we embrace hard times? Because that's where we're going to learn. And my favorite one was, was Dave Kirkman with his kids at the end of the day at dinner. He'd say, we'd always ask our kids the same question. How was school? Fine. You know, what did you learn? Nothing. <laughs> that's kids. Now he asks, yeah, that's... <laughs> yeah, now he asks three questions and he says, tell me about the best part of your day. What a great question. What was the best part of your day? Who are you grateful for that's not at the table? And then who are you grateful for who's at the table who hasn't been thanked yet? Isn't that beautiful? Oh, 
Do you know what I was going to ask you? Because I know we're getting close to time. I was going to ask you, you know, what's, a, what's something you can leave the listeners with um, tonight, which they can do, a very simple practice. And do you know what? I think that, that those three questions is probably, probably it, isn't it? I mean, that's, you know, you can write what you're grateful for, but to have that interaction with your family, with your, you know, your children, I mean, and teaching them through those questions. Exactly. You know, it's, you get to brag about your day. So you get the spotlight, your voice is heard, right? You get to talk about your friends, you get to talk about somebody in the family and it's all positive. He said, you know, at first they were kind of Oh, dad, it's another thing, right? And then he said, I knew it caught on when they'd bring a friend to dinner and I could hear him saying, now listen, you got to answer three questions at dinner, okay? <laughs> Have good answers. Don't embarrass me, <laughs> you know? Uh, you get that buy-in. And, and you know, you know as, as we wrap up, and, and by the way, I knew this was going to be delightful and you've exceeded the delight bar. Of, of, <laughs> Thank you very much. No, I, I was looking forward to this immensely yeah. as well. But, you know, just to leave, I, I, I love the, uh, the admonishment of my father, you know, just be good to everybody. Everybody's having a tough day. You know, particularly now, you don't know if somebody's struggling with an aging parent that they're worried about the virus or they're worried about their jobs or, you know, they're homeschooling their kids. Now, more than ever, I, I really say, I hope there's three things that we really embrace through all these crises. One is that we're, more, that we're a little more grateful for what we have instead of being envious of what we don't have. Secondly, that we're a little more kind. It, it costs mm. nothing to be kind. And thirdly, that we're a little more patient with each other. And I think, boy, if you, if, you, if you up your gratitude, you up your kindness and you up your patience, that's, that's, a, that's a good place. I can feel that as you say those things. I can feel how, you know, I'm, I'm listening to the words and knowing when I'm in that state, when I show up like that, I'm at my best self. Yeah, so. absolutely. Well, well, listen, Chester, it's been amazing. Thank you so much for coming on the show. I've got ChesterElton.com for people to reach you and also um, for leading with gratitude, there's leadingwithgratitude.info for people who want to go there and have a look at that. And of course you can get the book. Is there anywhere you want people to buy the book or is it an Amazon? Yeah, it's, it's <laughs> everywhere. It's actually leadingwithgratitudebook.com is the website. Okay. The info is all the free download stuff, which you'll get there. I encourage people to follow us on LinkedIn. You know, we, we do some fun stuff there where you're going to be a guest on our LinkedIn live show, which is going to yeah, be- Yeah, I can't wait for that, mate. I'm looking forward to that immensely. So yeah, yeah and then, you get to turn the, turn the tide on this conversation. <laughs> <laughs> and lastly, we have a wonderful training company. We've got lots of giveaways called thecultureworks.com. So lots of places to find us. And uh, I am looking forward to having you on my show too. It's going to be great fun. No, awesome. Well, you know, who knows? You might end up with one of those fantastic carrots or certainly <laughs> a pair of socks, which is great. Well, listen, Chester, thank you so much for coming on Scale Up Your Business. Some fantastic insights. I know you've helped many people and, and the perspectives that we went through tonight. I haven't really had this conversation with anyone else. So I'm really grateful for you for bringing that to us tonight. So thank you. You got it. Grateful for your friendship. It means a lot. 